1: Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, April seventh, 2022. This is episode number 253. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, A.K.A. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you'd like to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about the feds go after a canna con man Good news, let's regulate cannabis like corn, CannaCraft's merger, a 5,000 person trial to begin in the UK, the Ukrainian cannabis community, cannabis research and the lack of funding, boof, boof, it's a boof fest, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity.
2: Viewer discretion is advised.
1: Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. I'm going to kick off the show today with a story because I haven't done one for days. So uh, file this under what the heck. My story comes from the Worcester Magazine. The column is written by Eric Casey. Oh, sorry. Here we go. And the headline is Cannabis Confidential. If you see seeds, say something. Cannabis Commission may ramp up on in person inspections. So the clipboards are out in Massachusetts, and the Cannabis Control Commission is ready to make up for lost time from the pandemic. According to the column, during inspections, commission employees take a comprehensive look at how cannabis businesses are operating, looking at everything from their personnel records, signage, and advertisements, the health of the plants in the cultivation rooms, sanitation, and every possible violation in between. Since it started regulating the cannabis industry in 2017, the commission has sanctioned numerous companies with violations ranging from use of pesticides to violations of rules of restricting the amount of licenses that any one company can have control of. The author Eric warns his readers that there is one key detail about cannabis regulations in Massachusetts that every consumer should be aware of. Cultivation facilities are actually required by the commission to sell cannabis that is free of contamination, free of seeds and stems and is well cured the author goes on to say that they haven't seen the commission publicly admonish a company for selling boof but his quick look at social media indicated that plenty of consumers aren't happy with some of the weed they're buying for having stems seeds and even mold he leaves us with this thought if you see seeds say something Feel free to complain on social media. In fact, feel free to tag me in the post as well. But please make sure you also spend a few minutes to send a complaint to the commission if regulations have been violated. This is particularly true for products purchased from well-funded multi-state companies who theoretically should have the financial and technical resources to ensure that every product that leaves their facility is of acceptable quality. If companies with market caps of billions of dollars are incapable of producing products that are at least of the same quality as the guy you used to buy from in the parking lot at Market Basket, something is seriously wrong. I love this article. It is so great. But also, I like finding seeds. I don't know about you guys.
0: The boof. What? You said the boof. You should not. You, yeah, you should, booth. should not no. find any fucking seeds. Uh, but I fucking re- love this story. Are you kidding what me?
3: the fuck, Manigraham? No, I, no.
0: I, I, I love this story, and I'm so excited that there's actually a regulator trying to regulate cannabis in the right way by eliminating the fucking boof zone.
3: Yeah, the, the seed police. We need that. We need to fund that shit with all this taxes that we're paying. Fuck yeah, Rico. The seed
4: police. <laughs> no, I mean, oh, I, Susan, I, I'll get what? you some seeds, man. Don't, Thank don't you. get the Don't get seeds from your cannabis. I'll get you some. Well, no. I mean, I
1: I got some cannabis from Flo-Kana, uh many years ago, and uh, there was some Oof. seeds in there. And I was like, no. Who's the farmer?
3: Who's the farmer? Uh, Who's yeah, the...
1: I don't remember. Call him out. Call him out. Oh, no. You're trying to get me in trouble.
5: <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, I'm with you, Susan. If you find a seed or two, that's a good thing. And especially from Flocona, they were working with some legit folks. Straight up. Straight boo. No. I agree.
1: Thank you, Eric. Because
5: we grow, we grow, kids.
3: If you smoke, if you if you smoke weed and it has seeds, no in man. It, if has, you, you know, <laughs> it, it, it kills your sperm no, That's bro no, science. No, no,
5: no. <laughs> That's bro science, of course.
1: I was I was a judge at this cup, and Ed Rosenthal was sitting next to me, and I was rolling up the joints, and uh, I was like, "Oh my God, there's a seed!" And Ed jumped across the sta- table and grabbed it from me. So. Cool story, bro. <laughs> you call it <a> nanogram, bro.
3: <laughs> Everybody
1: a- call me girl. Yeah, cool story. Call me girl, Jason. Yeah. Call me girl.
0: <laughs> Come on, girl. Get your shit together. You know we don't smoke you no said bullshit ass
6: seeds. Booth? you gonna need a boof
0: fest? Yeah. All the right. Booth vest.
7: <laughs> the boof? <laughs> Love the boof.
0: Stop
1: the boofery.
6: Boof, you going to need a boof fest?
1: Oh, I love it. I love our audience. Um, okay, let's keep on moving. We've got a lot of news. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got, Rico?
3: We've got some big news coming out of Santa Rosa today. Uh, Santa Rosa's Cannacraft merged with San Diego cannabis dispensary chain. This is coming out of the North Bay Business Journal. So since 2014, Cannacraft built a solid reputation as a large uh, Santa Rosa-based producer of topicals, vaping products, tinctures, and infused beverages. NorCal giant confirmed Wednesday it plans to merge with SoCal dispensary chain March and Ash. Um, and both will be operating under the umbrella company Groundwork Holding Incorporated, which will remain privately held. Merging with March Nash provides them an opportunity to better solidify their market share in the Southern California market, um, where they've notably struggled to grow. CannaCraft's roots go back to legacy cultivation days in the 1980s. Co-founder Dennis Heiner uh, first taught himself how to grow cannabis in Mendocino, uh, Mendocino County. They also manage a farm uh, that ties company back to its founders roots, culminating a product uh, designed to use sales uh, proceeds to help federal drug crime offenders. The brand Farmer and, uh, Farmer and the Felon earmarked to support Last Prisoner Project, whose team Hunter and Fussell were introduced to during a benefit party at Jim Belushi's house in Los Angeles. Within three months of hitting the cannabis dispensary shelves and making an online presence, Farmer and Felon took in a million dollars in gross revenue. March Nash was founded in 2016, operates two dispensaries in downtown San Diego, another two in Chula Vista, Imperial Beach, and Imperial Valley. Uh, Hunter and co-founder Ned Fussell will continue to function as as co-CEOs of CannaCraft. In a statement, Hunter said that they're confident that this merger uh, better positions them to ensure Californians have access to safe and affordable cannabis. Fussel chipped in saying that they're proud to have uh, created innovative brands and products over the years with deep roots in California uh, before calling March Nash a visionary uh, dispensary partner. Blake Marshland, um, CEO and founder of March Nash, called the merger a natural fit and said that uh, they've known Canna Team for some time and they share their values and vision uh, for the industry. Brett and Peace, Um, currently general counsel of March Nash, will become the CEO of Groundwork, Danielle uh, DeLera. Uh, Cantercraft CFO will assume Breton's position, and a new board will be formed um, under the combined company. Company uh, spokesperson quoted in the article uh, cryptically saying, uh, "The merger agreement will be crafted for efficiency purposes, but no layoffs in, um, are on the horizon as a result." And uh, financial details and a closing date for the merger were not disclosed within uh, with the announcement. Uh, company officials were not available to comment on it either. Uh, I've known quite a few Canacraft people uh, for years now and hope that the merger works out for them. But without the specifics, uh, uh, specific details, uh, it's kind of hard to analyze everything. Uh, but I am happy that they uh, said they're staying private rather than going the public route where we've seen a lot of people sell out. And um, a lot of the soul of the game, especially in Northern California, has seeped out of it. So uh, I'm interested in hearing the rest of the team's thoughts on this one. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street, uh, reporting for Sandy Cannabis Hour.
5: What y'all think? I'm really happy to hear that, uh, Rico, because Dennis and CannaCraft, I mean, that's definitely an OG who hit it big. So I think it's a really smart tactical move because they were sort of locked up up there in NorCal. And with this jump down to San Diego, which is a really going to be a very hot market, I think it's a really smart move. And and Canacraft has always been there, so I, I give him a thumbs up.
4: And Dennis yeah. is a complete sweetheart. He's just an amazing individual. So, congratulations to the Craft team. Yeah, they got good.
3: They got good people on their team, and I know they've always struggled to make it uh, down south, down here. Um, and just like you said, Eric, man, um, I think the timing is right. San Diego is is on the rise right now, and a lot of stuff is starting to happen down there. So, I think the timing is good for them. And I wish them the best of luck.
0: Yeah, I, I do find it kind of interesting how. Um, within this merger, each company is still kind of kind of keeping its own separate, I, unique identity by having the same people run each different thing, even though they're merging as one company.
2: Laura, did you want to weigh in? I keep seeing you on <laughs> no, no. I was just going to say I think this is fantastic, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of these you know, taking place in California as people try to vertically integrate and expand business lines um, within an existing footprint to – you know, try to make sure that they can stay alive, make ends meet. Yeah.
3: Right. And, and, and I hope, I hope we see, I hope we see a lot more of this rather than having a lot of outsiders come in, scoop yeah. shit up and then and, and they don't make any effort to, to get to know or get to uh, create or collaborate with people that are already doing shit on the ground.
2: Right.
3: right, hundred
0: percent and congratulations to Dennis and Ned. This is, this is going to be great. And I look forward to seeing the success of this group.
1: I heard that they could use a few more women on the team. Just saying.
0: I mean, What's, they have tons of women on the team, Susan.
1: Uh, binders you, full of women. Bi- are you sure? Are you sure that's still true, Jason? I mean, this is kind yeah. of a recent thing.
3: Yeah, Jason. Jason okay. saw them.
1: Yay. <laughs>
7: <laughs> the binders. I was. I, I, was,
0: I, I was. just with them at the at the at the Emerald Cup judges uh, uh, party. You know what I mean? And I, I saw I saw Dennis. Dennis had
3: uh, Dennis had his wife with him. And Ned was there, and like it was a good time. I mean, and there's three other, there's, there's, you just listed one woman.
7: That well, it says. Excuse me, and it's actually Ned's
3: wife, and, and, I,
0: and <laughs> but 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 Ned's wife run, run, runs a significant portion of
8: that company. I'm
1: gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you out of your. So trouble, is Kathleen. Jason. Let's let's keep moving. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Jason Beck, what have you got for us
6: today?
0: oh yeah good morning susan and happy thursday everybody today my story comes out of the doj and it's not about hunter biden's laptop but i wish it was where today my story is all about a calabasas man who allegedly scammed investors out of at least $28 million they thought would fund cannabis vaping businesses. A former UCLA decathlete who also competed with the Philippines national team was arrested this morning on a federal criminal complaint alleging that he fraudulently raised more than $37 million from investors who were told their funds would be used to finance companies uh, marketing cannabis vape pens. David Joseph Bunevc, B-U-N-E-V-C, ACZ 53 of Calabasas was taken into custody this morning pursuant to a complaint filed on March 30th that charges him and one with him charges with him and with one count of wire fraud. I'm just going to call him Ben uh, is expected to make his initial appearance this afternoon in United States District Court in Los Angeles and according to an affidavit filed with the complaint. uh. Where's this guy's name? Ben- Benitez uh, falsely told at least one investor he had longstanding relationship with a Chinese manufacturer of a t- disposable vape pens that he had obtained raw pesticide-free oil that was sent to a lab that infuses these flavors into the oil with our proprietary custom process that renders the vape flavoring smooth and discreet, the complaint alleges. Uh, Benitez allegedly also provided investors with forged documents such as bank statements, invoices, and purchase orders to support his claims of the business's success and the need for investor funds. Instead of using the funds for, to finance business operations, Bennett has misappropriated the vast majority of these funds to pay for his own opulent lifestyle, sounds like a Medmen version, including a luxurious house in Calabasas, Las Vegas trips, jewelry, designer handbags, a lavish birthday party for his daughter, and horses. According to the affidavit, Benavenitas allegedly spent $8,143,500 at casinos, paid $218,700 to an event planner in connection with a birthday party for his daughter, and bought a horse for $330,000. Some investor funds were allegedly used to repay earlier investors in a manner consistent with a Ponzi scheme, and Benvenides took Efforts to conceal negative information from investors, such as his 2017 felony conviction for the unlawful sale of securities, according to an affidavit. After one investor uncovered a civil lawsuit against Benavidez, Benavidez allegedly emailed the counterfeit version. Of the settlement agreement to falsely make it appear that he had been paid three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars as part of a settlement. In reality, it was Benaventes who had agreed to pay the three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to settle the claim. Investigators believe that Benaventes caused his victims to suffer losses of at least two twenty twenty-eight point four million dollars and possibly as much as thirty-five million dollars. The investigation in this matter is ongoing. And if convicted of the <coughs> excuse me, of the wire fraud charge alleging the complaint Ben would face a statutory minimum sentence of 20 years in federal prison and the FBI, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department and IRS Criminal Investigation Division are investing in this matter. This U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission provided substantial assistance and Assistant United States Attorney Alexander B. Schwab uh, of the major fraud section is prosecuting the case. Well, I will tell you what, this shit got a lot of fucking hair on it. Sounds like it's got a lot of bad vape carts and a lot of pesticides. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. The good news is you're fired. Horse glue booth. I feel like we could definitely trace some vape gate back to this guy.
1: Throw him in jail. Throw away the key.
0: Are you saying
3: lock him up, Susan?
1: Lock him up. Lock him up.
4: Who <laughs> gets the horse, though. <laughs>
3: I mean, Whoever wants the horse, I
0: think. I, I think the, the horse will ultimately get sold at auction to repay the investors.
3: I think that horse needs to go to the um, needs to go to the people. I think
0: the horse should it needs to be returned. I think the horse should sell since he paid three hundred thirty thousand dollars for it. It should sell for four hundred twenty thousand dollars at auction.
1: Do you think it it was more? It was easier to con people uh, in. To cannabis businesses, just because they're just so excited and they're on the edge of legality. One hundred
0: percent, they're eager beavers and they don't understand the business. And then they're 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 relying on people that don't understand the business that are just fraudulent hucksters to to guide them to navigate through the turbulent weeds.
4: Well, hopefully, stash some of that shit away for after prison.
3: <laughs> Maybe uh, hide it in the uh, the horse stable. I think we should go treasure hunting, Jason. What do you think? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. I'm staying. I stay away from
0: horses, bro. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Unless we're at the pony track where we're betting
3: on them, I'd bet on that horse. I bet on the track. Up next, our next correspondent is the CEO of award-winning original breeders' league MJ Bizcon's 2021 Golden Bong influencer, who's just a little cooler than your favorite influencer, and universally recognized as one of the dopest mamas ever to grace planet earth priscilla agoncillo what you got for us today what you got
4: thank you so much rico so my story is um by mixmag.net and it covers a 5000 person cannabis trial that will be taking place in the UK. So the Times reports that a medical that medical regulators have authorized the initial stages of the UK's first study of pure cannabis for those suffering from chronic pain caused by illnesses such as arthritis. Thousands of British people could be given cannabis for pain treatment as part of a clinical experiment that might lay the groundwork for millions of people to be able to access the medicine through the NHS. The initial feasibility study, which is being conducted by private cannabis clinic LVL Health, will first enroll 100 patients before moving on with plans to perform a bigger experiment that has yet to be approved by the HRA or the National Health Research Authority. The proposed larger scale research involves 5,000 individuals who would use inhalers that deliver cartridges containing a calibrated amount of whole flour, unprocessed cannabis on a daily basis for at least one year. The trial, uh, they named Can Pain, is accessible to participants age 18 to 85 who have been diagnosed with non cancer chronic pain, and it will run for the next three years. Cannabis is given, um, the cannabis they will give it, it will be in tamper proof capsules and vaping devices, and it costs. 299 pounds per month per patient. To assess if cannabis leads to a substantial reduction in pain, the participants will be compared to a control group of 5,000 individuals of comparable age, sex, and health who will receive conventional pain treatment. The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, or NICE, will review this information before deciding whether cannabis should be licensed as an NHS medication for up to 15 million persons. According to recent government data, one in every three persons in England suffers from chronic pain, which uh, is further defined as a discomfort that lasts longer than three months. So there is a great public desire for patients who want cannabis prescribed on the NHS. Uh, Something around 1.5 million patients in the UK alone uh, are buying illicit cannabis off the streets, self-medicating with poor quality product, and having to deal with drug dealers. So this is uh, really great news. Uh, The thing that I'm particularly excited about this study is that they are actually going to be prescribing and doing research and gathering data on whole plant cannabis, which is fantastic. This is Priscilla reporting on what's happening in the UK for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
8: That's great news. Finally, somebody's doing research, uh, and it ha- of course it's outside the US, but it's great news that they're actually doing research on inhaled cannabis flour.
2: Seems like maybe the only way that the patients in the UK can have access to it, and so it's it's nice to see that the number uh, is so high, the number of participants. Priscilla, where are they sourcing this weed from? (laughs)
4: <laughs> They're probably importing it. Um, I know that there's a lot of uh, companies that have been, you know, vying for that position to import cannabis, uh, but it's probably coming from a lot of the countries that we've been hearing about um, uh, operating on GMP and GACP levels, um, uh, hoping to import into the UK market.
3: What in the, what in? I don't see why like, like the Prince and Kate didn't Kate Middleton didn't just pick up some fucking packs on their colonization tour last week.
2: What a, what a bummer.
9: (laughs) Wasn't that a, wasn't that a bummer? It just, there, there were so many fails on that tour. It's hard to even get started, but this is such great news for, um, for the UK. I mean, I was just talking to people this morning who can't access, uh, cannabis at all in the UK and they really need it for sick children, for seizures, for pain. And, um, you know what? What what a what a remarkable and wonderful step forward! Great news this morning. Thank you for sharing.
0: Well, Doctor Mary, all those parents need to do is find a local trap god, and I'm sure that their their qualms will be eased.
9: You know, That's exactly uh, what they're doing now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. I actually, most of them tell me that the best source is their bartender <laughs> for trying to. Uh,
3: find I, I, want, somebody yeah, I wonder if um, Prince Charles can be now be uh, uh, seen as the universal trap god.
9: Uh, prince Charles, I, I hope that the queen lives to be 130, and then the reign just transfers directly to William. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the reign of uh, King Charles.
3: Bring Prince Albert back. Well, oh, not sure
0: I caught that, Rico. I caught <laughs> where you're going with that. <laughs> and he was the prince, Rico. He was a prince. Lord of the Rings. Oh, is that what you call him now, Rings? rangs. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I bet. Well, I mean, that was an amazing story. Thank you so much, Priscilla. Coming up next, we have Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen Gailey is a feisty, redheaded conservative, proudly claims her Mayflower roots and never backs down when challenged by the pot loving libs across the aisle, especially on safe banking. Uh, Founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. What do you have for us today, Gretchen?
10: Good afternoon, Jason. Uh, My headline today is coming from uh, Marijuana Biz Daily. Uh, Regulate cannabis like corn. Uh, The U.S. Farm Bill proposal raises eyebrows and hopes. Uh, A seemingly offbeat idea to finally approve federal marijuana legalization is getting cannabis reform advocates talking. What about adding high THC cannabis to low THC hemp in the next Farm Bill? It's an idea that few in the cannabis advocacy community have considered, but the suggestion isn't coming from just any pro-legalization member of Congress. It's an idea from a powerful gatekeeper, the chair of the House Ag Committee, Democrat Representative Dave Scott of Georgia. Scott floated the idea a couple months ago after hearing powerful testimony from Amber Littlejohn, executive director of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. Little John told lawmakers that small and minority-owned marijuana companies likely won't survive without some help from Congress, adding that state-level social equity programs have not been able to keep many minority-owned businesses afloat. In response, Scott said the next farm bill coming up in 2023 should address the barriers that small businesses and Black entrepreneurs face when trying to start legal marijuana companies under state law. He said, here we are, the fastest-growing agricultural product between hemp and cannabis, we're also going into our farm bill. We've got to address this issue. We can no longer hide it. After political observers political observers in Washington raised their eyebrows about that comment, he doubled down. As the chair of the House Ag Committee, I'm committed to addressing the issue of cannabis in our next farm bill. Uh, far-fetched, maybe not. After all, the reauthorization of the farm bill in 2018 saw Congress alter the Controlled Substances Act to say that low THC cannabis varieties known as hemp, are no longer illegal. Uh, The measure passed with bipartisan support and ushered in a sea change for the entire cannabis industry, even though growing high THC varieties remained illegal. Uh, That's because hemp legalization brought the cannabinoid CBD to mainstream audiences and created the first modern 50 state cannabis market. (coughs) This uh, article goes on for a bit more, looking at the possibilities of this happening. I don't see them as a very high possibility, Um, even if Scott, uh, if they're able to maintain the house, I think it's a whole other um, argument for folks to make that uh, to persuade people to get high THC involved in the Farm Bill. Um, While I'm not completely opposed to ag being the ones to be the ones to regulate it, um, they haven't done a very good job so far through the Farm Bill of 2018. Uh, So I don't have much uh, stock in that. Uh, Most likely, they're going to lose the House, which would put Representative Glenn Thompson of Pennsylvania in charge. Um, And while Glenn Thompson is a fan of safe banking, our favorite bill, um, I don't see Glenn going as far as to say, sure, let's legalize uh, cannabis through the Farm Bill. Uh, This is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News
8: Hour. So what would that do to the Controlled Substances Act? I mean, it would just... well,
10: when when they put when they moved to hemp, made hemp legal, that removed uh, the low varieties from controlled substances. So they could do it
3: in theory. I'd like to see some high THC corn
1: so that it would just be an add on to the farm bill, Gretchen. Well, no, every
10: five years they do a new farm bill. So, yeah, they would be modifying uh, current legislation. But, yeah, they would put it in there and. That's how they would legalize, and that I would really be next year. In twenty twenty three, is when uh, yes, the farm
1: bill is up. Wowza, this is really kind this of is, big. This
0: is this this is just nothing but hype and hysteria. And if it, even if they were to legalize cannabis through the farm bill, that would put us in a more fucked up situation that we're, we're already in. Why? Because the farm bill is <laughs> trash. They can't even they can't even regulate hemp. You think they're going to be able to regulate cannabis?
3: And, and who and who came up with that farm bill again? You remind me, Jason. Oh, that's my that's my good buddy, Marijuana Mitch.
5: Moscow? Mos- um, no, it's no, actually Mos- his, name, his name is Marijuana
0: Mitch. His name is Marijuana okay, Mitch. Mitch. He legalized cannabis because in the farm bill, it still has the definition for hemp as cannabis sativa L, which is the same definition for marijuana in the Controlled Substances Act. So, really, he legalized marijuana, even though he didn't even realize that he did it. So, go on, Marijuana Mitch. Okay. Can, he created a I, yeah. bring,
10: well, I can see them Mitch trying to bring. Moscow Mitch created
2: a shit show. He knew exactly. Well, well,
10: Moscow Mitch was the only one who did something for you, so you should be thanking. He him. Created, but
5: the only he thing created a complete is shit is show. He drew a red line between hemp and can, and created that fake line between hemp and cannabis. He created a complete shit show. Okay, stop well, with the propaganda. I, I call call, stop with the propaganda. Cocaine
3: milk, I, I the, the vitamin E acetate vape, God for life.
10: I, can, I think this could be, be a brilliant answer. Is going to be the, the reality of the next farm bill, will them being more clarity to what's going on, and perhaps looking at things that like delta eight. They are not going to fully legalize cannabis through it. It's not going to have the votes. It's just
1: not. All going right. To have well, it. hopefully we'll be talking. This is a
0: pipe dream.
1: Hopefully, we'll be talking about it a lot. So, uh, but we need to keep moving. We've got a lot of stories. I'm going to relight the room.
0: You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
9: The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any
1: opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers.
2: Viewer discretion advised.
1: Let's keep smoking the
3: news. All right. He's the founder of MediCan and the co-founder of CESC, a nonprofit cannabis research organization. Although it might be news to you, this cannabis OG has been well-documented, compassionately representing the people. Up next, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. What you got for us today, my man?
8: Thanks, Rico. So this article appeared yesterday as an opinion column in Los Angeles Times. The headline reads, Congress says it's liberalizing pot research laws. What Pot Research Really Needs is Money. It's by Robin Abkarian. So the opinion column discusses a recent Senate bill co-sponsored by yours truly, by Dianne Feinstein of California, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, and Brian Schatz of Hawaii, among others. The bill proposes to liberalize cannabis research laws. It's called the Cannabidiol and Marijuana Research Expansion Act. At first, the author was delighted that the Senate had apparently passed bipartisan legislation loosening the rules about cannabis research. After interviewing others and hearing their reactions to the bill, she gained a different perspective. The issue starts with the title. It's confusing. After reading it, I thought Senator Feinstein had gotten a contact high from the blunt recently smoked in her office by legislative aide Jamarcus Purley. Why cannabidiol and marijuana? Let's set the record straight. Cannabidiol is in marijuana. Why define it separately? Is this political smoke and mirrors, or did the writers just make an error? Critics say this bill makes it more difficult to do research on substances derived from cannabis. Dr. Sue Sisley and her attorney, Shane Pennington, agree. They are not impressed with the bill. Actually, the attorney is outraged. He feels the bill makes CBD harder to study. Currently, CBD is not a Schedule One substance. This bill essentially treats it like Schedule One. Why? CBD was first discovered in 1940. It's been studied extensively. There are patents on CBD. Epidiolex is an FDA-approved drug that contains CBD. Why do we need a Research Expansion Act for CBD? Why is the Senate making access to CBD more restrictive? Another curious fact, this bill defines CBD as derived from plants with high THC or synthetic CBD. So this bill doesn't seem to liberalize anything. It continues to require DEA license to grow cannabis for research. Dr. Sisley and her attorney note that the DEA can still block research by not approving these research licenses. Co-sponsors are using different rhetoric. Our bill will remove excessive barriers that make it difficult for researchers to study the effectiveness and safety of marijuana and hopefully give patients more treatment options, says Senator Schatz. Senator Grassley says this bill will empower the FDA to analyze CBD and medical marijuana products in a safe and responsible way so that the American public can decide whether to utilize them in the future based on sound scientific data. It all smells like pharma to me. The author goes on to suggest that cannabis research needs money, not more legislation. Although I'll take the money, personally I think research needs a paradigm shift. What do you think? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
2: Well, that's a, a fantastic article. Um, thank you. And so important, Doctor, for, thank you for presenting this. I, I know Shane Pennington and his work in this regard is impeccable. I would trust his assessment of the legal ramifications of this bill more over anyone, particularly over any politician with a, some kind of self-interest. It's just another attempt to delay, um, and, and I would agree with Shane.
8: Yeah, I'm not a policy expert, but it's very strange, uh, Bill. You know, they are written strangely and why they put it out doesn't seem to really do much except make people
3: think we're putting more money into research.
7: Right.
3: I'd I'd argue that's the whole reason why they make it that that way. (laughs) Keep the status quo.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. I I agree. As I've said before, I really feel like we're trying they're trying to move cannabis to a more pharmaceutical model, and we're we really going to have to start at thinking outside the box. And there's a, a company, company that was just formed called Radical Science that was co-founded by the founders of the UCLA Cannabis Research Initiative and the Holistic Research and Education Foundation, and they're allowing natural products to be validated with direct-to-consumer studies using validated research tools. So that's an example of thinking outside the box of how we can get this research done i'm dr felicia dawson i'm done speaking let's keep smoking the news
0: oh that was amazing thank you so much dr gene coming up next we have the freedom finders farmer's friend that's right it's eric case lareda he's an award-winning journalist with a multicultural background in fifth
5: generation californian what do you have today for us this morning eric hey jason thanks for the intro uh hey buddy great to be here today my headline is from High Times, and it's Ukrainian cannabis community standing strong against Russian invasion. Uh, So we've all seen the headlines and seen the horrible pictures, but I don't think we've heard about what's going on with the cannabis community there, so I'm going to dive right into this. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine now in its second month, the Ukrainian people have again shown their determination to keep their nation free and independent country. Ukraine's military and civilian soldiers who have joined the fight continued to repel the invasion from entering the capital of Kyiv, while last week the Russian aggressors announced a change of strategy in the face of mounting losses. But despite their bravery and resilience in the face of a much larger force, the unprovoked war has taken its toll on the people of Ukraine. The southeastern city of Maropol and other areas have been left in ruins, and the UN estimates the number of displaced Ukrainians who have fled the country at 4 million. Many of those who remain are facing a growing humanitarian crisis. Ukrainians from all walks of life are resisting the Russian invasion, and members of the country's cannabis community are no exception. Although cannabis is illegal for both recreational and medical use, consumption and cultivation of up to 10 plants have been decriminalized. As a result, Ukraine has a vibrant underground cannabis community, including a growing rank of activists advocating for the end of prohibition. Victories so far have been modest with a country with the country approving several cannabinoid uh, pharmaceuticals. One group, Freedom March, has been advocating for progressive drug policy, leading demonstrations for the legalization of cannabis in Ukraine and defending the rights of medicinal cannabis patients since 2005. Freedom March member Nazri Sovsan says the majority of the group's activists are involved in resistance to the Russian invasion in some fashion. Some have taken up arms and headed to the front lines to face aggressors head-on. Others are supporting government logistics to provide humanitarian aid in the cities being shelled by Russian forces. Sadly, one of the group's activists has been badly wounded and is receiving medical treatments for his injuries. Russian rockets can reach any part of our country, and air raid sirens have become the routine for us, says Sov who explained in an email from the war-torn nation. It is an unprecedented situation, and it is hardly possible to foresee what comes next for us. To help their fellow countrymen, Freedom March has launched a fundraising campaign, Cannabis Stands with Ukraine, that is seeking donations from the worldwide cannabis community and freedom lovers everywhere. Donations to Freedom March will support the cause in conjunction with the Kyiv School of Economics Charitable Foundation, which which has already purchased nearly 300,000 worth of emergency medical supplies for delivery to the region, according to wire transfer documentation and invoices provided by SovSun. Freedom March has designated two causes to support with the funds raised by the campaign. As in any conflict, the Russian invasion has taken its hardest toll on Ukraine's most vulnerable populations. The group's first priority is the children who have become victims of Russia's aggression. According to the officials, at least 145 children were killed and 222 injured since the war began, Sovsen explains. Thousands of children have lost their parents. We will use raised funds to provide those children with shelter, food, physical and mental recovery. Secondly, the fundraiser will support the people that have been Freedom uh, March's central focus, Ukraine's medical cannabis patients. Supplies of many traditional medications are running low, and getting cannabis to the patients who need it is even more difficult than before. To help address the shortages, members of Freedom March are supporting the nation's medicinal cannabis community on multiple fronts. Together with our friends from the local community, we are working to find ways of providing CBD-based medication to those who need it urgently. Epileptic patients and wounded soldiers above all, said Sosun. Hopefully this war makes it obvious to our politicians that people should have access to medical cannabis so we are active on the legal front as well. Um, The article closes with this graph. We fight for our friends, our families, loved ones, and children. What do Russians fight for? Ukraine is a very freedom-loving country. Just take a look at the demonstrations of our people in the occupied cities. They're not afraid of armed soldiers firing rounds at them. They are not afraid to stand in front of a tank column, not, not letting them go further. Unlike Russian people, afraid of getting days in prison or a fine for protesting, we think of ourselves as free people. Our society has come a long way, and we will not surrender. Um, and that's what I've got for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you for having me up. I really suggest you um, check this article out, and I think I forgot to mention it was in uh, high times.
1: If you can, make a donation today.
5: Yeah, there's a lot more details in the story that I did. Um, you know, there's a, lot, there's a couple companies that mentioned. There's, there are a couple Ukrainian companies. Um, they have to operate a lot offshore because... Um, it's still not legal in, in Ukraine, but um, very worthy cause, and these people are um, doing some really great work there. Yeah, worthy cause. Cannabis has been used for years,
8: during war and post-war. Uh, it's it's going to be an
3: important substance.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
3: All right. Now, this pot-loving PhD is a champion of common-sense cannabis policy a true-to-life alternative activist that somehow remains optimistic in the middle of all this cannabis chaos. Come to the stage, Manika Mahajan. What you got for us today, Manika?
11: Good morning. Thank you very much, Rico. Today I'm talking about cannabis taxes funding local services. And my headline reads, Cannabis sales are paying for a new public library services in Santa Ana. This was published by the Voice of OC. So a little bit of brief background to start. In 2018, Santa Ana voters said yes to Measure Y, which was a uh, local initiative to allow commercial cannabis licenses, regulations, and taxes. And Measure Y created a business license tax plus a gross receipts tax. The business license tax is calculated on the gross square footage. And then the second part, the gross receipts tax is up to 10%. 70.6% of the Uh, voters said yes on the cannabis taxes, and so the city created a public benefit fund for the tax revenue to be allocated to things like libraries, parks, youth services, and finally, cannabis regulatory enforcement. Quick sidebar, uh, in that same election, 57% of voters approved Measure X, which was a sales tax measure that gave Santa Ana the highest sales tax in the OC, Orange County, and the city said it needed the money because of increasing shortfalls in their budget. At that time, the city was spending about 70% of its general fund on public safety, police, and fire, and the remaining 30% was left to fund services like parks, libraries, etc. So back to the cannabis tax. According to this article, the scope of enforcement has creeped outside of cannabis regulations, and last year, City Attorney Sonia Carvalho said that her office uses some of the money for all types of nuisances and quality of life services, This fiscal year, $9.6 million of the cannabis tax revenue was budgeted to youth spending, including an $884,000 upgrade of Santa Ana's main public library, which now has a children's patio, the play structure, and outdoor reading areas. $3.6 million went to enforcement activities, including license inspections. The biggest part of the enforcement dollars, however, almost $1.4 million went to police and they have some money left over. Turns out that $2.7 million was allocated but hasn't been used. So now council members and the community are engaged in a debate about what to spend it on. Some wanna fund programs to help people harmed by the criminal justice system. Others wanna increase code enforcement, turn on more lights in city parks to reduce crime, or increase parking enforcement. But after seeing the improvements to the library and other local services, some in the community are challenging why Santa Ana still spends most of its funds on police and asking why not use funds for youth and community services instead to increase those positive impacts. So normally I would say something about the local tax rate, but since it got 70% of community support alongside a sales tax on uh, sales tax hike on the same ballot, it seems that local eligible voters don't really mind high tax rates. Uh, I'd love to hear from some other correspondents and audience members. What's your take on the conversation that's happening in Santa Ana? This is Menica Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour.
5: Hey, Menica, thanks for bringing us. I just love to see that, you know, Santa Ana was sort of really this um, part of Orange County that really never gets a lot of services, doesn't get a lot of respect. It's uh, primarily Latino. Uh, it's about 70% Latino city, and they've totally taken the lead in cannabis. They've blown everybody out in, the, in, the, in that whole county so I know they're struggling through, but they've got, you know, some big shops there. And I just hope they can figure this all out.
11: Totally. Yeah. Thanks,
7: Eric. I love that they're funding education. I mean, libraries is where, where you can go to get educated. And it's difficult to, to control people if they're educated. So unless they're going to be retraining and educating policemen on how to not kill folk, I don't think more money should be going to them
1: we've got Ted up from the audience. Hey, Ted, what do you, what do you got? Hey everybody. Hey, I, I live close to uh,
8: Santa Ana and I, I understand why the tax is higher because that's really the only town that has legal dispensaries. I'm sure there's like at least 15 or 20, maybe more. So uh, people coming from outside the area, outside of Santa Ana and coming in uh, to purchase and the city realizes, Hey, you know, we, we're the, we're the only game in town other than delivery. So I think it's good that they're bringing this up and using it for uh, community services and having that discussion as opposed to spending so much on uh, police and fire. Thanks.
1: Let's keep smoking the news.
0: Well, all right. That was a fantastic story. Thank you so much, menica Coming up next. That's right. Everyone get put your seatbelts on. It's Nicholas Wildstar. He's a blunt blowing Fresno based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip of their hood past for even acknowledging. Here to change the narrative, it's the governor. What do you got for us today, Brody?
6: Thank you, JB. Good morning and good day to you, State of Cannabis crew. My story for today is coming from CBS Local about how black cannabis advocates support Detroit's newly approved recreational marijuana ordinance. Now that an adult-use recreational marijuana ordinance has been passed in the city of Detroit, what does this mean for Detroiters as well as individuals who have been negatively impacted by marijuana? On Tuesday, Detroit City Council voted 8 to 1 to approve a new ordinance they say is more inclusive. This is a historic move that's been in years in the making. Excuse me, approving an ordinance. That would not only allow adult recreational marijuana use, but gives Detroiters the opportunity to be a part of the cannabis industry is critical, says Detroit City Council President Pro Tem James Tate. This ordinance provides Detroiters an actual pathway to licensing in the city of Detroit. Now, I would not be providing full information if I said it's going to remove every barrier, said Tate. He says, obtaining property and lack of resources has been a challenge for Detroiters, wanting to be in the industry. He's working to gain assistance for those in need, creating social equity within the industry. There is there is not a lot of Black representation within cannabis. And even though the 10 of us who have been medically licensed, there are many folks who want to become part of this industry and that should be a part of this industry, said founder and CEO of Black Cannabis Licensed Business Owners of Detroit, Kimberly Scott. Scott, along with a a group of other Black-owned medical marijuana dispensaries, has been advocating for inclusion of Black people within the cannabis industry for years. There are 85% of Blacks who are incarcerated for the very same thing that is legalized now, Scott said. If you lived in the city of Detroit for 10 out of the last 30 years, if you had a previous conviction of marijuana, it provides you the opportunity to be certified as a legacy Detroiter, said Tate. This legislation is a long time coming for sure. After years of experiencing families being ripped apart by the failed war on drugs, our residents will now have an opportunity to build generational wealth from the same plant that law enforcement used to cause enormous pain within our community. Applications for adult use licensing in the unlimited categories could begin as early as April 20, 420, which is the effective date of the ordinance. This is Nick Wildstar, aka the Governor, reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speak now or forever hold your peace.
11: Don't you love how everybody wants to make everything effective or introduced or passed on 420? It's like, uh, right, right. it's just hilarious. <laughs>
3: it's, 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 kind of like disappointing though. Like it just makes, it makes everything sound like a joke to me. Like why are you passing on 420? Just pass it as as quickly as possible and, and stop doing shit the last fucking minute.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Yep. Double agree. Well,
3: Also, too, a lot of these stories,
0: by them coming out and doing things on 420 or whatnot, takes a lot of the actual news stories of the actual celebration of 420 amongst our community out of the news wheel because all these other stories take up all the airtime.
3: Yeah, all these stories that go nowhere. Exactly. All the boof news. Booze.
1: Cory Booker's trying to make it for 420.
0: Cory yeah, Cor- Cor- yeah, Booker needs to worry about passing the safe banking. That's right. Pass safe banking.
3: <laughs> safe yes. banking is dead.
9: Oh, my God. It's just
3: dead. It's done. How about that, Jason? Shit is not done. The shit is just getting started, baby. Just watch. <laughs> watch the banking revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The booth banking. So Shalina Panu, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. She's also the co-owner of one of the flyest IG pages ever to grace the stage on Instagram. And um, she's the founder of the Cannabis blog and podcast, Shall We Talk? Shalina, what you got for us today?
12: Thank you so much, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina and my headline for today is unlicensed shops selling cannabis claim loophole in New York cannabis laws. New York Post stated in two separate articles, one yesterday and another back in February, detailing how unlicensed shops in New York are claiming they found a loophole in the regulations, allowing them to sell cannabis before legal sales have begun, which is scheduled for later this year. One of the loopholes some are claiming is by selling digital art and or content such as a videotape or mixtape and then offering cannabis as a gift after purchasing the art. The Barbershop Museum, for example, establishes artwork prices dependent on the type of cannabis the consumer wants with the prices ranging from $40 to $100 for an eighth. Street Lawyer Services, an unlicensed shop run by Lonnie Brownsen, does the same sort of concept as a barbershop. He states that that his place is a cannabis content lounge where the community loves the digital content. Empire Cannabis Club runs multiple unlicensed shops in Chelsea and Lower East Side, selling cannabis through a membership service. They state on their website the following: We have taken the blessings of the New York State legislator, allowing the transfer without profit of cannabis, and have set up a membership service in which the 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 club will acquire cannabis products for its members and only add the cost to facilitate the acquisition and transfer of said products. They may be arguing they found loopholes for now, but that is not going to last for long. Aside from just violating state law, they could also be violating federal law because most of the cannabis that is being sold in the stores isn't even grown in New York. Since state lines are being crossed to bring in the cannabis, the feds would have authority under the U.S. Commerce Clause. Another interesting note is that once legal shops are allowed to open in New York, they may only sell cannabis that has grown within their state borders. According to experts, unlicensed shops may even be may have even bigger issues because those who are trying to find these loopholes will likely ruin their chances of getting licensed and get shut down for trying to run a quick one on the government. The Office of Cannabis Management in New York has stated clearly that legal shops have not yet opened and that these unlicensed shops are illegal. More than 50 season desist letters have been sent out uh, by this office t- uh, to these shops warning them that any unlicensed sale of cannabis is illegal and that failure to seize the activity puts your, ab- your ability to obtain a license in the legal cannabis market at substantial risk. Some shops are claiming that they have a temporary license and didn't know about the situation, while others, like Street Lawyer Services, state that they pay their taxes, have security, as well as a business license. What are your thoughts on these shops finding loopholes? My name is Shlin, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour.
11: Find your loopholes. Do it.
12: That's
1: my thought.
0: Life is a loophole. Ex- yeah. Exploit all loopholes, always.
1: All right, let's move on to Laura's story. Bring us- all
0: right. All right, here we go. Coming up, it's Lara DeCaro. This badass cannabis mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and the organic source of the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. What take us home, Lara?
2: All right. All right. Thank you so much for that intro, Jason. Uh, Today, I have takeaways from our conversation on ESG risks in cannabis. This is actually a recap of a podcast entitled Insuring Cannabis, which can be found in the Insurance Journal. The article is written by Don Jurgler. (laughs) I might have slaughtered that. Sorry, Don. Uh, So it starts off, really, the concept of ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, or the concept of being environmentally friendly and socially conscious in the corporate cannabis world, is of particular importance, according to the author, considering the ranks of the younger generations that comprise many of the ranks of consumers also finally attuned to these concepts. Anyway, he starts off by saying... Uh, He interviewed an attorney by the name of Jonathan Mayer for this podcast, uh, whose apparent top concern about ESG isn't so much about a company making efforts to be more green itself or being more socially conscious, but really about statements that the executives make about the ESG accomplishments that aren't exactly true. This is what we in the industry call greenwashing, right? Um, But it, it struck me as odd that the the top concern of the attorney wasn't really so much that they're actually following through on their statements, but more that the statements are being made, um, that the statements are essentially false false advertising. So he says, when the director or officer is putting himself out there by representing that the company is going to do one of these things and that they don't do that, uh, it's in particular for the cannabis industry, the repercussions in terms of liability um, are are considerable. Is sort of I'm paraphrasing his quote, but then he kind of goes on to admit that none of the cases in the other industries um, where greenwashing is being called out have actually ended up in front of a court. Like they, they keep getting tossed. Uh, so I don't understand where this um, lawyer is coming from. I find ESG to be a very important topic. It's something that the cannabis industry has um, really, I think pioneered, um, since even before ESG was a buzzword for these corporate attorneys to, you know, try to shake a saver about. And, um, anyway, I'm just, uh, I'm a little bit angry at the tone of this podcast, but I think it's worth listening to. And I think ESG is definitely a worthwhile concept. My name is Laura DeCarl, reporting for the State of Cannabis Hour.
1: Yeah, kudos to the cannabis
2: industry for for pioneering that effort. The hippies were right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, you know, we've had good neighbor policies and environmental policies and socially responsible hiring practices um since before it was okay. Uh, you know, since before it was hip. And so, you know, um, I think that this article, which says that we should be more concerned about it than other industries, is not giving credit to the people who actually did you know make those moves in the forefront,
1: you know who I think did a lot for that was is Tim Blake, yeah, yeah. He really did push that hard from I don't the first Emerald Cup that I went to like eight years ago. I was blown away. But we've reached the end of the show. It was really good. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through the headlines every day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for corporate. Producing the show, and to our pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust.
0: You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
1: Say goodbye, Rico.
0: Nah, great bye.